The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. One of the signature events ascribed to NDEs is the fact that most people return to their bodies no longer afraid of death. They've seen the other side, and what they experienced there was light and love so profound, so beautiful, that they often can't wait to go back. The problem arises when the family of the nde hears reports of the experience and feels hurt by the fact that their mother or father or brother or sister might be willing to leave them there, then and there, and abandon them to for a love far more profound than humans could ever provide. Most NDEers reply with something like, Well, I came back, didn't I? What more proof do you need that I love you? Still, family members, and especially children, may detect a new, faraway glance in your eye, a wistfulness that wasn't there before. When you've experienced the reality of the light, there's really nothing to compare. I was mulling over some of these same thoughts during the Labor Day weekend IONS conference this year held just outside Philadelphia. When I got word, my sister Anne, some four years younger than myself, had gone into a coma and died. She'd been quite sick for a while, it's true, but during that coma time, I wondered if she'd caught a glimpse of what lay ahead, what the possibilities were, and just decided on the lovely eternal rather than the temporal. Uh, return to uh, physical pain. And who could blame her for that? I mean, it's a choice that most of us make when death offers us the opportunity. Surveys tell us uh, there are more than 700 NDEs in this country alone every day, and yet that number can't hold a candle to the number of people who just up and die. We often assume the person who died didn't really want to go, But uh, how could we know? That might have been the nature of their last conversation with us, but when the spirit of that special person in their lives uh, comes uh, to meet them, uh, someone from the other side who has predeceased them, or when angels call to them from the foot of their bed, then everything becomes more clear and their direction changes. As a hospital chaplain, I often compared notes on death event stories for the nurses I worked with. One story I heard from a nurse was the time a patient, angry at being sick and consequently hard to deal with, greeted her one morning with a happy smile. Well, you must be feeling better, she said. He told her, well, my brother told me he will be coming for me tomorrow afternoon at one o'clock. Can you be here with me then? The nurse, somewhat confused, said, but I thought you told me your brother had died. Yes, said the patient. He's coming at one o'clock to take me home. But you're not that sick, the nurse said. You're not going to die. Just please be with me at one o'clock tomorrow, the man asked. The next day, precisely at one o'clock, the nurse watched in amazement as the man raised his arms in greeting, a joyous smile on his face, and then he died. As a hospital chaplain, I often had to deal with family members who were appalled, aghast, that their dying relative had signed a living will that specified 
do not resuscitate. Well, she signed that when she was well. She wasn't really thinking seriously about what she was doing, they would argue. Now death's a real possibility, and she, she's no condition in no condition to tear that paper up. But we in the family, we want you to do everything possible to keep Mom alive. We're sure that's what she'd want, if only she could say it. Sitting in the terminal at the Bangor, Maine airport, waiting for the flight to my sister Anne's memorial service in Pittsburgh, I couldn't help but remember another time we were flying into LaGuardia to make a connection. The tower had kept us circling, and now we were getting close to missing our connection. The steward asked the pilot to radio a request to hold the next plane for us, and every passenger stayed in their seats to let us be the first to exit the plane on a run. We raced the length of the terminal to where we hoped our plane was waiting, but when we got there, the door to the ramp had just closed, and even though the plane was still there, it hadn't gone anywhere, they would not open the door and let us on board. Well, it's an analogy, and perhaps it's a little strained, but when someone we think of, think we can't live without, has the, let's call it the audacity to die, that same feeling of too little, too late, just like missing that plane haunts us for a time. We should have been with you, traveled with you, well, not because it was our time to go as well, but just because the main reason for our life on Earth had left without us, left us holding a boarding pass no more worthwhile than a living will document after the soul has departed. As a chaplain, I encountered many people who not only knew it was their time, but fought to make it so. Some recovered briefly from their coma or confusion, actually suddenly sat up in bed to straighten out situations, or make amends, or finalize arrangements, or reconcile with loved ones. Well, their families would be amazed, of course. <laughs> Dad is better, they'd assume. More... Mom is her old self again. But then, of course, the next day, last-minute corrections made, they'd be gone. Most astounding, to me at least, were a few cases of dementia or Alzheimer's where the patient would have a moment of near-perfect clarity after years of losing the ability to communicate. For a miraculous moment, their minds cleared before they were gone. Then there were those who demanded no special efforts if their heart should stop, no resuscitation. I've mentioned before on this show uh, the story one nurse told about a patient she really loved, a patient she did not want to die. When the nurse stopped breathing, when the patient stopped breathing and the alarms went off, that nurse ran down the hall with every intention of doing CPR on the woman despite she, her orders not to resuscitate. She did not want, uh, to, to be uh, to have CPR to be defibrillated. Well, the nurse was rushing down the hall to do what this woman didn't want, and suddenly she said, "I got knocked flat on my back by an unseen force." Not only that, but that force held me down, pinned me to the floor while I struggled to get to to get up to help my friend. And after a while, she could only assume it was the spirit of her friend holding her down keeping her from trying to start the heart again. This one, her friend wanted to be 
at last uh, to be free. Another time I got an urgent call from the mother of a patient who had hung himself, her son. It was a, an amazing case of one woman's will to stop her son's departure from this life despite his will and desire to depart. Although the woman was tiny and her son was over six feet tall, she had found the strength to lift him where he hung, a loose in the rope, call the ambulance. Well, despite her efforts, the doctors uh, all said it was too late. He'd been without oxygen for too long. He was brain dead. It was only a matter of time. They had uh, tapped, uh, you know, put electrical uh, nodes to his to his head, and they could not find a, a signal there. When I got to the room, she insisted, however, that that we pray to spare his life. So the mother and I stood on either side of the bed, joined our hands together over him, and prayed in Jesus' name that he come back. There was no immediate reaction. The docs had said there was no hope and continued to say that. And yet the next day, when I stopped by the room to see how she was doing, the son was up on his feet, fully restored, and, by the way, furious with his mother for interfering with his choice to die. Another time, I happened to stop by a nurse's station when a nurse pulled me aside to tell me a story. Do you remember a certain case about a month ago when a patient died and the family requested you come say some prayers for the deceased? She asked. Well, I vaguely remembered the family she was talking about. The patient had died, as was expected, and the doctor came around and pronounced him dead. And about a half hour after that, the family suddenly decided they wanted a, a chaplain to come down and say some prayers. And so they requested that I that I come down uh, before the family went home, which, of course, I did. Well, said the nurse, a few minutes after that, after you just after you left, this man the doctor had pronounced dead sat up in bed and asked, when can I go home? He was fine, and he left the hospital the same day. Amazing, amazing. So there's a case of someone who was not ready to die and had, on some level, been given the choice to come back, and so he took it. My sister's memorial service was, was wonderfully attended, not only by family, but by the dozens of friends she'd made during the course of her life. There was a high school friend she, who had uh, transferred to the school and hated it until Anne had seen how unhappy she was and invited her to join the soccer team. There were friends from the thrift store where she'd volunteered, friends from the Quaker meeting who remembered her work for peace, uh, a long uh, process that took her, had her joining groups and uh, marching, picketing, and in fact took her as far as China, uh, where they were working at a, a cooperative uh, arrangement for students to go back and forth. There were those who remembered her work as a stained glass maker and the beautiful windows she had made for others. Several called her their best friend at this memorial service. Several people, <laughs> in fact, a few, one right after the other, stood up and said, Anne was my best friend. And then the next one would say, Anne was my best friend, too. They cited uh, the times that Anne had helped, comforted, guided them. Um, her children, 
Anne's children praised her for uh, their upbringing, how she guided them into lives of love and creativity and successful parenting themselves. And one woman, not a relative, described how when her own family couldn't help her, Anne flew across the country to teach her how to care for and feed and bathe her newborn baby. Myself, I knew Anne had a different side, a more mystical nature to her that began when she was just a child. Some of you listeners have heard the story of my drowning and resulting NDE. Well, at that same island location, my sister Anne saw a fairy, and the fairy saw her. I reminded her of it a few weeks before her death and asked her to tell me the story again. Well, I guess I was about four years old, she said, and I was playing in the grass near the footbridge to the shore. And suddenly I, I saw this little fairy creature run by. He was less than a foot tall, and suddenly he stopped, shocked to realize that I could see him. And then, frightened, he ran away before I could say a word. And Anne had other gifts, too, particularly receiving messages from the other side that she was uh, asked to deliver to people still alive, sometimes not even people that she knew. I mentioned at the start of the show I was attending the annual IONS conference in Philadelphia uh, Labor Day weekend when I got the news that Anne had died. And I must say, when you get bad news like that, the best place you can be, apart from being at the bedside with the departing, is to be at a convention of anti-years. They are the perfect empathizers to talk with during such a time. All familiar with death, none of them afraid of it, and uh, truly inspiring and empathetic in powerful ways. The following morning, there was a 7 a.m. meditation uh, going to be directed by a friend and NDEer, NDEer Peter Panagor, who's been on this show in the past, has an amazing story of his own to tell. He's done yoga for many years, and it was a uh, it was just a small group of us sat in silence for an hour, and I could feel the presence of Anne's spirit there with me as I sat. And after that, I wrote a poem about her, which I, I will read to you now, and I, I will explain. For Anne, Anne saw a fairy at the lake, and all her life it drew her there to mantled owls and rug of bear, now, the mantled owls are still there. They've been there for a long, long time, stuffed owls, from probably dating back almost to World War II. The bearskin rug is no longer there, but it was fascinating to me when I was a little child because the bear's head and the teeth were still on it. It sounds kind of gruesome, but it was fascinating to, uh, to us children. To mantled owls and rug of bear, where I once drowned, Another time, Anne heard a man cry, help. We saved him with our boat, and other ways kept life afloat. He was a fisherman who couldn't swim, silly, wasn't wearing a life vest, but we saved his life. And then in Ardmore, raised our kids, we shared a house in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Kristen's, my daughter, Kristen, and Anne's middle name, Kristen, both upstairs and down, 
And as a Quaker seeking peace with many favors to the world, Anne brought love where she was hurled. Fox Chapel's window did inspire Anne's Tiffany's of colored glass. She did amazing colored windows. Leaded beauty to delight the flowered hill in Brackenridge where she lived. Grandchildren, too, more sparks of light reflect in beauty part of Anne. Much light and love where'er she went, as far as China was her plan. Now, I'll stop that there. Well, in thinking about all this, I came to the conclusion that we resist returning to the undifferentiated love of the other side, that white light, that unfragmented white light, beautiful as it is, because there is the potential for differentiated love on this side of the veil. In other words, we are sometimes, as humans, caught in the middle. Undifferentiated love is full clarity. That's the white light, the full knowledge, the, the basis for everything is love itself. The light of light, not fragmented by the prism of our bodily existence on earth. But we are like prisms. We channel and we differentiate the white light of God's love into the reds and blues and greens and violets and so forth, the rainbow colors and that make up the life on Earth. And we pick the favorite color that we want to concentrate on. We get narrowed in, give our attention to one thing or another. We spend our years doing God's work or our own yellow or a green, perhaps, of our own choosing or the choice of others, sometimes parental influence or fate or career decisions given our circumstances. By the way, there's an interesting story about Isaac Newton and prisms that might be uh, interesting to share. It seems Newton was trying to discover if color was created within our eye or externally in nature. He even went so far as said that he drove a sharp instrument into his eye <clears throat> to see if it would generate colors in the brain. It didn't, of course. And later he discovered that a prism would break the white light of the sun into a rainbow of colors. So his question was answered. It was external to our eyes where colors appear. Interestingly, though, he found that a second prism could not further divide a green, say, into a further subdivided colors. And I like that story because as an analogy to our being spiritual prisms for the spiritual light, we can differentiate greens from blues and put our attention to our color of choice. We can personalize the interpretation, but we can't, like a second prism, originate a new color from it. In other words, we are we work with the creation, we work through the creation, we are not the creator itself. Although we love to think of our think of ourselves that way. We differentiate light and where we shine it, but we are not the creators of it. No matter how much we want to take credit for it all. My sister Anne was into colors. Not only did she design and build some beautiful Tiffany style stained glass windows, she also planted the hillside beneath her house with thousands of perennial flowers. The practical stuff, the vegetable garden, was at the bottom of the hill, as far as possible a walk from the kitchen when gathering veggies for dinner. The youngest son complained good-naturedly, even at the memorial service, about the distance he had to walk 
the garlic and the lettuces up to the house. Her memorial service was packed with people who loved Anne. I imagine she was there, still loving them, watching and waiting for the rest of us to show up on the other side to be with her again. At the service, I said a few words and then read this passage from uh, Peter Pan. The longing to be in the world of the living can be strong, even when we know better. So uh, here's the brief paragraph I read at the service from Peter Pan. Peter sometimes fell into sad thoughts. And then the music became sad also, the music he played on his pipe. And the reason for all this sadness was that he could not reach the gardens, though he could see them through the arch of the bridge. He knew he could never be a real human again, and scarcely wanted to be one. But oh, how he longed to play as other children play. And of course, there is no such lovely place to play as in the gardens. The birds brought him news of how boys and girls play. Wistful tears started in Peter's eyes. The description of Peter's wistful longing captures the way I see us on the side, on this side of the veil, looking over, and on the other side, looking back as well, caught between the knowledge of the great white light and the differentiated colors of our life with the colors of humanity here on Earth. And I uh, had a prayer I wanted to say at the service, but never got to because there were so many others who needed to speak. Let me say it for you here. Oh God, we thank you for this universe, our great home, for its vastness and its riches and for which and for the manifoldness of the life which teems upon it, of which we are a part. We praise you for the arching sky and the blessed winds, for the driving clouds and the constellations on high. We praise you for the salt sea and the running water, for the everlasting hills, for the trees and for the grass under our feet. We thank you for our senses by which we can see the splendor of the morning and hear the jubilant songs of love and smell the breath of springtime. Grant us, we pray thee, a heart wide open to all this joy and beauty and save our souls from being so steeped in care or so darkened by passion that we pass heedless and unseeing when even the thorn bush by the wayside is aflame with the glory of God. Well, it looks like we're out of time for today. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, just go to the past shows button at nderadio.org. For more information about IANS, visit their website at iands.com. And be with us again next Monday for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. Thank you.